0: How's it going? Not bad. Yeah, good week. Busy, very busy. Very busy. To all the people who have not had a chance to call back today, I apologise, was too busy doing this.
1: Yeah, um, I also would like to proffer an apology for all the people that we've not had a chance to talk to
0: been today. very busy. But
1: anyway, so Way of the Wolf. Yeah, so where we are up to is we are finally at the end of Way of the Wolf by Jordan Belfort. Um, Jordan hasn't been a guest on the show. We're on the last three chapters. Um, I am going to start today's show with a bit of honesty. I got up very early this morning to read the final three chapters of this. Um, it's been a pretty hectic week. I'm a, as Mike will tell you, um, a prodigious reader of books. I mean, I read a couple of books every week. Uh, it's been a very long two hours reading the final three chapters of this. I was
0: going to say, I quite liked it, actually. All right, OK. I, I felt... I, I took quiet. a lot of notes. I, li- I liked it. And I'll tell you what I thought. So chapter There's plenty to talk about. Chapter 10 that is the 10 rules of straight line prospecting.
1: It is. So shall we go through each chapter, pick it, and then at the, I think at the end of today's show, we will do a little bit of a review, some 10 out of 10s or some out of 10s. I've, I've written my... Um, out of 10 and re, your, your overall review. But I think most importantly, let's get into talking about what, what the content, of what, what we've learned and what we've found and what we found interesting. So uh, why don't you start, Mike, with... You, you, you tell I, me I'll, I'll tell you
0: my first two points, right? So, so this is the 10 rules of straight line prospecting, uh, and this is rule one. You are a sifter, not an alchemist. Like that. I thought he was 100% right. And basically what he's saying is here, you are trying to find a lead, not trying to make a lead. If it's not a lead, it's not a lead. Yeah. You're trying to find a lead, not make a lead. So what he's saying is... He's really referring to his lucky leads. saying, listen, if
1: they're not going to buy, they're
0: not going to buy. Go and find somebody that is.
1: And it's very simplistic, and I got very frustrated a lot, a lot with, with the last few chapters of the book. I felt a lot of it was a bit facile. But do you know what? You cannot knock that.
0: So it's 100% uh, right.
1: Particularly if you're a rookie salesperson, you can't knock that whole comp- conversational point about why get involved selling to somebody who ain't buying.
0: Correct. I thought it was right. So absolutely. Yeah. Yep, bang yeah. on. Next no, rule, and we're sold. Always ask for permission to ask a question. Didn't like that. I thought it was wrong about that. Well, and his example is here. John, just funny, funny words used from that's yeah. the script. John, just a couple of quick questions, so I don't waste your time. So that was a terrible Well, I, I've written
1: here next to rule number two, he said, always ask for permission to ask a question. I've actually written utter, utter bollocks. Yeah, I thought it was rubbish. Uh, I thought it was absolute rubbish. And then he then talks about, he gives this example, uh, can I expand on what you've said there? Yeah, of course. He, he's talked about, um, below are a few sample language patterns that get straight to the point and have been proven to work. And what he's talking about here is, he says, John, just a couple of qu- quick questions, so I don't waste your time. Well, Actually, I'm going to just get into the linguistics of this. The way I was always trained is that the word just is an absolute anathema. It's a disaster word. To salespeople. You're negating the importance of the question that you're going to ask. When I read that, I thought, an LP practitioner? Really? Yeah, this is not a man that's really thinking about language and the use thereof. Mm. Um, Also, I don't like the idea of asking a question. I think if you ask a question to ask a question you're teeing the question up in the mind of the individual. He this it's an lot, option. Well, he talks a lot about getting past the critical faculty in the mind of the client. He talks all about, he spent a lot of time earlier in the book, about going around that critical faculty in the mind of the client that makes them question what you're doing. If you ask somebody if you can ask a question, the critical faculty will employ itself tenfold. as opposed to a good open question where somebody will give you an answer. So, what I was concerned about here is he's not talked about an open and closed question from a language perspective. All he's talked about is ask if you can ask the question. Why? So, so he he put himself really on the back foot with me at six o'clock this morning. I
0: thought that was rubbish. And I, I wrote
1: here, just build rapport, ask some open questions and be subtle.
0: Exactly. Next, rule three, you must use a script. I love with that, and the next chapter is dedicated to it, so I'm not going to go into that right now. Okay. Ask each question using the right tonality, Rule 5. Like that, actually. That's right. very simple, but, you know, I thought it was
1: absolutely 100% on the money and we have that. talked a lot about the whole tonality thing, we've mm-hmm. debated that. Mm-hmm. But he is right. To the nth degree, haven't we? He is right. I mean, Rule 6, use the correct
0: body language as the prospect responds. Nodding your head while the prospect is speaking. I mean, oh, can I just meet? I meant something. I meant to say at the start, actually, Jonathan. I don't understand why I've spoken to mo- so many people about having watched this book club, but nobody seems to like it. Yes, I've got a suggestion. I meant to discuss this with you before we sat down, but the charity that I like to support is Simon on the Streets. Right.
1: right is that? Your you? charity?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Childline so, for me. Childline.
0: I, I don't think. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> to, hell with, to hell with the kids. <laughs>
1: yeah. Down the kids. Just,
0: just. Yeah, I'm joking, obviously. <laughs> But I think that we should be making a donation per like, just in this one episode, or a share. Like or share, yeah? like or share. Fifty
1: p a like. Fifty p a like.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I've got nearly 10k
1: connections. Well, how much would that cost us? Five Loads. grand for 10,000 likes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's like see if people can run us out of it. Well, I'll tell you what: fifty p a like, up to 2,000 likes. I'm feeling tight. And I'll tell you what: pound a share, up to a thousand shares.
0: Yeah, yeah, That's three grand. You can raise three grand if you could just be bothered to click the to like button. Because it
1: does take time and effort to create this
0: content. Anyway, do a favour it. and share it. So so, so, so so, use the correct body language as possible. Responds, narrowing your eyes and compressing your lips. I just thought this was just nineteen eighties drivel. Utter ah. drivel. Ah, just nonsense. Always follow a logical path. Is rule seven, and I do agree with that completely. His point is and it relates to scripts as well really, which is if you're gonna go through a series of questions of asking people questions, you should do it in a certain manner. So are you married or single, great, do you have any children? Is his example. That's completely fair. That's a completely fair way of yeah,
1: it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's not added much value. I don't think I'm a better salesman for having read it, but it's a fair comment.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, and then rule eight,
0: make mental notes. Don't resolve their pain. So he says, when you call a final prospect, all you should be doing is asking questions and making mental notes based on their responses. You do not want to try and resolve their pain at this point. In fact, if anything, you want to amplify their pain. Couldn't think what I made of that, actually. I I underlined it and I thought...
1: Actually, I, I concur about the whole amplification of pain thing. You know, if you look at spin selling, what's the whole point of spin selling? Situation, problem, implication, need. And the whole point, if you... If you do the spin selling training, I mean, I did it late 90s, if not mid-late 90s, um, but the spin selling training is all about understanding the problem and then running the problem home subtly and gently in the mind of the client about what the problem means to the client. So you would get into the client's, what, what you'd get the client talking about some of the challenges they're facing, then your next line of questioning would be, what are the implications of those challenges? What does that mean to you? Then they'd say, well, that means that we can't do X. And then you would then go to another layer and go, and what are the implications of that? Yes. Until the client was practically sat there saying, well, basically, I'm going to die if I don't buy your product. Um, and I think that's what he's getting at, but he's doing it in a really clumsy, it's crude, way. way. And I, I, I wouldn't want to train a salesperson with that. No, no, no.
0: Really. He, he was saying that, like the man who's got a, a silver suit of that time.
1: You, you really had a bit of a down on this silvery suit on the front cover? Yeah, that's get right.
0: It's probably a five grand suit, but I do, yeah. I, 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 like,
1: I like the way the photographers use the flash on the cover-up shot, actually. I like where the light's coming from. But that's the geeky photographer in me. Why do you like that? That's just nonsense. I think it's a good cover photo. Rubbish. His face is in shadow. Ah, you don't like that. It's a bit arty. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: anyway, Chapter Rule 9 always ended with a powerful transition. And this is basically talking about moving along the straight line process from one phase to another. And I mean this, I just thought he was talking absolute nonsense here. But no, he's talking very accurately, but it's not something he does. You see, the simple fact is that not every buyer in power and every buyer in heat, lovely phrase, should be taken further down the straight line. For example, if your product is not a good fit for them, then you have a moral obligation to tell them that. To explain that you can't help them, and that they really shouldn't be buying. I mean, I know that Hollywood sort of glamorises films sometimes but I didn't think that's what he did I thought he made people buy shares
1: yeah he spent a lot of the time in the book talking about being ethical and being great though and caveating his former life and you can't knock him you guy's earning a living trying to earn a living based on the one thing he knows he was damn well good at which was being a salesman
0: well we're we'll, we'll getting to a conclusion here and then, and then rule 10 I sort of like that stay on the straight line don't go spiraling off to Pluto I mean I agreed with him I, I, I've got to say that I thought that chapter, whatever chapter this is, chapter 10, um, was really a summary of that which we've discussed. But I sort of quite liked a lot of it, actually.
1: He makes an interesting point. I'll tell you one of the points he makes that's very interesting, is, can you remember that fellow we placed a while ago, who was, like, really very familiar, and the basis of of, of his rapport-building skill is, oh, you like football, I like football. Mm. Right.
0: Well, you get into the script chapter now, actually, aren't you? Because yeah. he does it about duck hunting.
1: Yeah, and he talks about that, about rapport yes. in the sales environment. And he makes a point here, and I, and I just um, I, I, I highlighted it because I just thought it was interesting for further conversation in general, really. He put, now again, uh, genuine rapport is based on two things. First, that you care Meaning that you're not just looking to make a commission, you want to help your prospect fill his needs and resolve his pain. Basically, you have his best interests at heart as opposed to your own. And second, that you're just like him. Meaning that human beings want to associate with people who are just like them versus the exact opposite of them. Let me give you a quick example. And he says, you wouldn't go check out the country club to see if you want to join them. Come home to your wife and say, guess what honey, I went to this really cool country club today. There wasn't a single soul there who wasn't anything like me. They all had different politics, different religions. So what what he's saying is, he sort of feels like he contradicts himself a little bit here. We don't associate with other people based on our differences, we associate based on our commonalities. He said, however, that being said, this is precisely where you guys are all making the classic mistake. You see, the way you think that you're supposed to accomplish this is by playing the pretend game. Like, if he loves fishing, then you love fishing. If he loves duck hunting, you love duck hunting. If he loves going on safaris, then you love going on safaris. And what he's talking about is that's not how you do it. But he doesn't really help explain how to get over it, other than perhaps demonstrating a slight bit of empathy of, oh right, you're just duck hunting, that's really cool, sounds really interesting, I can see why you feel that way. Now, back to the sale. And I think, I get it, you've made your point, but you've not really helped...
0: We'll come back to my thought on that at the end of the book, actually. Because I I, I, okay. I I sort of agree with that. I mean, the next bit, I, I wrote this, actually, if you can see that. Chapter 11. This is just was my favourite chapter. Oh, really? I thought this was absolutely...
1: So, so tell it. me why this is your favourite chapter of the book. Um, I'll tell you why.
0: Because... I, I think, and I'm going to be very... Um, uh, careful how I word this, is that really, Chapter 11 is about the, the, the art of making world-class sales presentations. And actually, by presentation, what he really means is a pitch. It doesn't mean stabbing it from the PowerPoint. It means doing a pitch.
1: Yes, he's not talking about getting your present out... And no, no, no. Talk he's tra- tra-
0: talking about... Yeah, exactly. And what he actually refers to is scripting. I'm going to tell you, as long as I have ever done this job, and I have worked with people who have sat next to me, they hate scripts, they think it's demeaning, and I would bet my bottom dollar that if I had a client who during the interview process said to a candidate, by the way, when you get here, I'm going to make you learn a script, I think the candidate would back out.
1: And yes, I, I think that if, if you gave us 20, it, I, I think if you gave me 20 clients, yes. Each of whom said to a candidate, "We obviously expect you to learn our scripted client pitch and presentation." And the candidates would walk away. The candidates would all turn the jobs down. And I've got to tell you, I think that that is
0: because that all too often people think having scripts is beneath them.
1: Uh, Uh, I I think I've written it uh, here. uh, "Quote quote unquote." uh, uh, A lot of the people we work with don't have it and are still successful though. But I also know a lot of people think it's beneath.
0: And I've got to tell you, let's just say we take this guy on level, and what he's saying is he had brokers that were earning 50 grand a month. Yep. I don't know if I believe it, but let's say he did. I completely agree with the next point that he makes, which is the media that we consume. You guys are about old Mel, and he's talking about Mel Gibson in the Braveheart film. The media that we consume, the films that we watch, all that garbage you try and get me to watch on Amazon Prime. Yeah. What is it? The, 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 I can't what it's called now. You've always gone about it. And I always say I watch it and never do.
1: Friday but, Night Lights.
0: But all that stuff. Um, it's scripted. His point is, they're actors. It's scripted. Well, very but funny. look how brilliant they are. Yeah, Because they practice it over and over again. And they practice their practice. Correct. And he goes on about Mel Gibson's thing in Braveheart, which...
1: And you do know, you know why they practice it? Do you know why actors practice their scripts? And why they rehearse because they want you to believe them. Correct. In, in that, fam- that famous episode of Extras with Ricky Gervais, where he meets Sir Ian McKellen, and Sir Ian McKellen says to Ricky, do you know why I'm so good at being an actor, uh, Andy? I used to love that and, show. And, 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 and Andy Millman says, I'm no, Sir Ian, why is it? He says, because I pretend to be the person in the script. Uh, yes, you are absolutely uh, very uh, subtle. But, but actually... Uh pretending to be the person in the script, is that often what makes you a successful ah, 100%.
0: person? percent And I mean I could have taken just I I I could talk about this chapter all the time. I would let him write me a script. He's got four or five points here. I've just ticked everyone and put ten out of ten next to it. The guy is one hundred percent right. And I tell you what, if I, I, and this is Well he where talks
1: he talks here, doesn't he, about charisma. And what charisma. you're basically saying is uh Charisma's first component is the effective use of tonality.
0: Yeah, but I actually thought he's choosing not charismatic, actually.
1: Yes. Second component of charisma is targeted to use the body language bollocks. But then he wrote here, and this was interesting. Charisma's third component, which is typically the toughest one of all for most people, is not saying stupid shit. He's right, and he's so right. Ah, hundred percent. Couldn't say it was. He's not. He just now, I'm not way. convinced it's actually a core cool component of charisma, but I'll tell you what, it's, the cool com- it's a core cool component of good selling. Yeah. I'm so. not saying and don't I, and I'm so gonna, stupid. But I've got to tell you
0: something. And there's a guy we used to work with years ago at Jacko's called Chris Scott.
1: Or, oh, hello, Mike. Tom, where you are now. But, but tell you what. How good was he with his scripts? He followed those scripts to the end of the green. He was very successful doing so. But there is an interesting caveat here. Go on. My caveat with scripts is, and I think Jordan Belfort does put this, is salesperson must believe the script. Yes, I agree with that. Before he delivers the script, so it's very easy to put a script in front of a salesperson in an environment where other salespeople are using the script successfully and earning bags of cash. So this room behind does that looks like a boiler room. I must find out what they sell. What's it's up? They're an IT company. That that it's literally it's like it's like Wall for Wall Street in there. They're you know? great. Yeah, it looks eggs, um, but. They're using scripts and pictures. I walked past the wall before, and there was a whole thing about closing and people refining the closing. It sounds very, very good. Brilliant. I I but I think if you, they're clearly a successful company. They're bringing people in who are seeing other people successfully using the script.
0: That's very true. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely. Right. And I think a
1: large part of script is actually belief. In the same way that you could set a football team up with a shit system, but if they all believe in the system. Actually, it could become a title-winning system. Like Ajax. Why Ajax? I thought they were... No, they played total football.
0: Correct, yeah, I used to work for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Anyway... But the, and I think a lot of it isn't necessarily the script itself. A lot of it is the belief in what's being said. You know, like, you've got that mate who's a belief-led salesman.
0: Ollie, Ollie Newman. He's great. Really good salesman as well. So, um, and, that, and then it went on a little bit, and he, and he talks about... Uh, the process of closing, and I mean, you know, I go through, read all the stuff out, I'm not going to, but one of the things he talks about with closing, he says, it is that um, when they were closing sales at, at whatever the um, stockbroking company was, that they had a point at which they would ask people for loads and loads of information, and they'd say, right, great, I'm glad you're into it, now I need your social security number, your address, your driver's license, da-da-da-da. And he said, it just made it so difficult to close them. And he and he, and he said a lot of the stuff we're closing is making it easy then for the person to buy on you. And I thought 100 percent right. Yeah. And, and and he then used Amazon one-click buying as a reference. And I thought, So right. It's 100 percent right. It's easy to buy. One-click so buy done.
1: One-click right. buy done. But actually, it's like it's, it, yeah, he's bang right. It's 100. The other money. thing, I, the other thing, you know, I've been pretty negative about this, but actually, I'm sort of warming up to it a bit. I wrote here scripts by people what I call time on the ball. Yeah, 100%. Particularly people who aren't that experienced. And we all know, you know. I, I well, what's listen,
0: course, what, what's listen uh, pause, clarify about? The pause is buying yourself
1: time. Yeah. So we, we teach internally an objection handling technique called listen, pause, clarify. i to many years ago. You listen, you pause, and you clarify. If you've okay. not
0: heard that, you need to not be watching this show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Get off. We don't want you. Um, but. Um, I think a good script buys, particularly a younger or an or a inexperienced salesperson, a lot of thinking time. Particularly if they know the script so by heart, and so by rote, that they can deliver it without any thought in total unconscious competence, mm-hmm. it buys them time to listen. Yes, And by buying them time to listen and think about what's being said to them, or listen to the tonality and listen to the subtle nuances, I think that makes people more effective. So, I think scripts are an interesting thing, in as much as one, I think you can write an utterly shit script, but providing the person believes in it, they'll be all right. Two, I think that the script's real purpose is, in many respects, to buy somebody time on the board. You're
0: absolutely right. And then he then he goes on. And I mean, this is all forming part of the script, really. And he talks about reframing, and he and he's actually referring to getting to somebody spend three grand. Um, uh, and he said, I, I use the word cash outlay as a reframer instead of cost. The client said, how, the prospect said, How much does it cost? His answer wasn't, It costs. His answer is, Well, it's only a cash outlay of $3,000. And he subtly changed the word. And I just thought, That's beautiful. Yes, really? It's very elegant, that. Really slick,
1: that. Elegant.
0: Absolutely. It's
1: elegant and it's a and, proper and salesman's use of language.
0: It's beautiful, I thought. Absolutely beautiful, I thought. I, I, and the more I read this to myself, And, I mean, I've got loads of notes, and I literally could talk about this all of the time. Um, This one chapter, is I thought to myself, right, now you're talking. I I can completely see why he was successful as he was. Because, actually, I would let him write a script. And I reckon if he wrote a script for most
1: companies, it would be successful. Yeah, I reckon if you paid him, it would be money well spent. Yeah. Actually, particularly if you were selling, I don't know, something with an order value of about three to five grand. I I dealt with this client in London that sold a HCM software application to the small to medium enterprise market that was about 200 quid a month Uh, and they have a room full of 20 sales guys all smashing the phones doing web demos nobody's out on the road, they're all on 25, 30k base uh, going directly at Sage's products with a much sexier more sort of social media focused product I bet if he wrote them scripts those scripts would be I it completely agree. So I'll, I'll give the guys to you. Oh, 100%. And then he goes
0: on about, and then there's a few just other questions which again, form part of the script. What do you dislike about, what do you like or dislike about your current supplier? That's a nice question. Uh, and then on the next page, page 201, he says, "I've." you on page
1: 201?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How I, I, page a I took loads of notes, I love this chapter. He said, cha- uh, mm. so it's 201.7, then you directly ask for the, ro- for the order with no beating around the bush. The reason I'm highlighting this is that after spending the last 10 years of uh, training sales forces all around the world, i found the vast majority of salespeople don't ask for the order very much. And I mean, obviously we don't follow our salespeople that we place around clearly, so I can't comment on that. But actually, when I take interview feedback, how many times, Johnny, straight on the nose, do you think a candidate says, are you going to take me forward for a second interview?
1: Honestly. I think very few, if it comes to closing in it in a job interview, I think very few people have the nuts to full on, direct, look the guy in the eye and say, alright, let's go through this mean. you told me you wanted X, I've proven to you I've got X, I'd like to take this forward to the next stage, is there any reason why?
0: Correct. And actually, of those Um,
1: people that ask the question, what's the correlation between... It's normally indicative of the fact that it's what they do in real life. Correct.
0: And if we took the people that ask that question and we could somehow create a correlation between people that ask that that question in an interview and people who earn lots of money, how strong is the correlation going to be? It's going to be absolutely as tight as... Well,
1: this comes back to a much bigger philosophical conversation about selling, which is... A lot of people, uh, and he, he writes this here about scripts in general. There is still an inordinately large number of salespeople who have a major negative anchor towards the use of scripts. Yeah. Ranging yeah. in severity from a mild bout of nausea to a full-blown case of anaphylactic shock. The negative responses are based on three concerns. First, they think using a script will make them sound wooden or inauthentic. Second, they think that their prospects will figure out their reading from a script, consider it disingenuous or the telltale sign of a novice. And third, they think that using a script is unethical. Well, that's integrity because of the contrived nature of the script. I wrote above it. No, it's more than that. They think it's facile, weak, and that they're above it. No, it was, but, it and was, but it actually, was. I think... Actually, Mike, I think a lot of salespeople think they are above... Clo- they think that closing... and I've, I've talked about this a lot on The Pint with J.G. They think closing is beneath them, I and they think that agree, 100% right. being a salesman is beneath them, and they think that persuading somebody to do something they may may not have ordinarily considered is beneath them. And um, you know what? When two thousand and nine hit, and there were grown men crying down the phone. Those people that think that that's beneath them were the ones crying on the telephone. Ah, oh, 100%. That absolutely. Was, was my experience. The ones that weren't afraid of it kept their jobs on still and still like earned I, I can remember my last
0: point on this chapter, then I will promise I'll let us move on. <laughs> I can remember having an interview with you. I quit the Newcastle Building Society to join Howard Jackson.
1: In your brown suit?
0: Yeah, my brown suit. It <laughs> was good, though, because it matched my brown tie and my brown shoes. Yeah. And, um... I uh, was only allowed to join Howard Jackson if I passed my driving test. My driving test was the Saturday before I joined, obviously. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and on my first day, I went to Manchester, sat down with Pete Ingram, who I think was retired, and, and uh, Mad Dave Shields, who you know we've got back, uh, who, who, who I think uh, I think we're back friends again now. Yeah. And Steve Griffiths and Pete Ingram gave me this big thick book and he said, right. <clears throat> You've got to learn those three pages tonight. And I mean, they were three A4 pages full of words. <sighs> and what would have happened if I didn't if I'd if I'd failed the test the next day? I'd have fired you. <laughs> it was mad. And actually, I quit a job to do that. I'd bought gone. my car, passed my driving test. But do you know what? I passed it. And eighteen years down the road I'm still placing IT salespeople.
1: If you didn't learn the script, you got fired there and then.
0: And what happened to Howard Jackson? Yeah, I know a lot of people didn't like it and all the rest of it, but for what, whatever you want to say, 2002, Howard Jackson was the market leader, bar none. Yeah, absolutely. I mean bar none.
1: We can go into the whys and wherefores of where they lost the plot as a company, well, whatever. But whatever. But at that point, how much would Belford how much would John Belford have liked Howard Jackson? He'd have loved it. But it was a bit Wolf of Wall Street, and that was their undoing in the It was
0: in the end, what point is the script so anyway, chapter twelve. Funny this. Because chapter 12 is called The Art of Science and Loop- of Looping. And looping? Thought, it sent me, Looping. <laughs> well I thought that's funny, uh, It's Looping his whole book together in one chapter. Because <laughs> that's exactly what he was doing. I've got to say, I thought this chapter was a bit garbage really.
1: I didn't get a lot out of it. Um, I, 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 I didn't write
0: like many notes.
1: No, I think what my objection here was, I have a few, He talks a lot about objection handling, so he says no, no, Greek bill by his first name quickly, it, it all got a bit cheesy and a bit rubbish. And what I wrote a lot about was, uh, one, so he starts talking about one bit of objection handling here. So the first bit I liked was, he talked about what he calls the step-down sale. What page is that? So page 208. So in the step-down oh, sale, so nice. in the step-down sale, I go into the deal, and I ask you to buy half a million quids worth of Microsoft stock knowing damn well you're not going to buy half a million quid's worth. I then try again to get you to buy a quarter of a million quid's worth, knowing damn well you ain't going to do it. And in the end, I come out with a deal for five to ten grams worth.
0: Mm.
1: But I've got my deal to five to ten grams worth because by the time I've started with my half a million quid's worth, you feel that five to ten grams is nowhere near as big as it would have done. And I thought, you know what, if I was in that world where I sold, that kind of stuff, I think you'd probably pique my interest with that as a selling methodology, but then he starts talking about some objection handling and I'm a big fan of good quality objection handling, I love a good objection handle, Um, and I've trained lots of recruitment consultants on objection handling and on particularly new uh, client uh, uh, acquirers. He doesn't, I don't like how he talks about objection handling. At all, I guess it was like, "Yeah, whatever. Get out my face." You're wrong. Shut up. Run along. Um, and for me, I, I believe that objection handling. Firstly, the, um, the presenting objection that a client gives you is never the presenting objection. And he kind of says that, but he doesn't talk about that he enough. He says that much earlier on. <laughs> much earlier in the book, he basically says the presenting objection is never really the presenting objection. It's always a smokescreen for other objections. And what he's saying is most of those objections normally boils down to "I don't trust you." Mm. Actually. I think you can handle an objection, but you have to get to the underpinning objections that underpin the objection itself. And normally there's two or three objections, like table legs, that stabilise the objection itself. And I don't agree in deflecting from an objection. He talks a lot about deflecting. Yes, he and does, then go- yeah. He talks about deflecting and, well, go- he- deflecting and going back to the pitch, basically, and looping back round. Yes. I think... In the world I live in, let's just say, Mike, I like the job, but your client's paying five grand too light. Yeah, great, but it's an absolutely brilliant job. Uh, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> agree. sorry, one, we took talk- in our world, that's not right. Two, uh, any half decent person, business person, salesperson is going to go. Ooh, 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 I've just told you, I've got a problem here.
0: Yes.
1: And it's a valid objection. It's a valid price objection, but it's a valid objection. And it needs discussing, and I think deflecting it, particularly an objection in a purchase that's that high level and in a purchase that's that high involvement, I think it's rude to deflect an objection when you're selling something or you're in a conversation about something that's that important. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you,
1: so, you know, I think if you were selling somebody's stock to deflect an objection, oh, yeah, right, yeah, I'm talking about your retirement and your future.
0: Yeah, right. I'm just going to sidestep
1: your objection. Yeah, but I he think. would say it worked, work, Yeah, great, it worked. Yeah, selling stock, but you're actually talking about somebody's retirement and their future. Personally, I take that No, to no, 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 he never made an ethical sale. Oh, right. Well, Have you not read the book? I, I, I must be deeply mistaken. The next thing that really annoyed me was he said a straight line response to an initial objection, which is, I hear what you're saying, Bill, but let me ask you a question. Does the idea make sense to you? Do you like the idea? Now, I have a real issue with how he's done that. This is a a guy that's talking about being a master of linguistics and a master of language patterns, yet he's gone, I hear what you're saying, Bill, but let me ask you a question. Now, but for me, I I was... a
0: shocker,
1: yeah. It's a shocker. You're using but in your objection handling, please. I don't want to know... Yeah, stop listening. We're, we don't want to be friends anymore. Um, I, I was always taught that you don't use but, you use and. Um, and why do you use and? Because the word but negates everything that you've said linguistically in advance of it. So he's saying, I hear what you're saying, Bill, but let me ask you a question, which means I don't hear what you're saying and I'm not listening. Um, I also don't like the fact that he's then kept, he's then followed up on that with a double question. Does the idea make sense to you? Do you like the idea? Well, which question are you asking me, children? Because that's two questions in one statement. Now, where I come from, that's bad salesmanship. Yeah, I agree. all question. Yeah, one hundred percent. So he, he lost a lot of credibility with me. Yeah, you had the chance, and you... I, I I just didn't enjoy reading these three chapters at all, I I I, I don't what, what, feel like I read. What about this? The line? only thing I learned was reminding myself of how important "and" is instead of "but." How important it is to not. Ask well, two you can never read a bad one. book, can you? No. So, but what, but Jonathan? If
0: I'd been your broker for the last three or four years. Making you money on a consistent basis, and now you switch to your implied obviousness, then you probably wouldn't be saying "Let me think about it, Jonathan." You'd be saying, "Pick me up a, a block of at least a few thousand shares." Am I right? I mean, I paraphrase that heavily. I thought there were some good bits in it. Yeah, the right? future
1: pacing is all right.
0: Beautiful, I thought it's that.
1: It's nice to do a good future pacing with somebody.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Um, this was interesting. He, Bill, his, you know, prospect said, "Let me think about it." Um, he said. So what do you need to think about, Bill?" He said, that's a non-starter. He's absolutely right on that front, I
1: thought. What do you need to think about?
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you, you're not attacking the objection, are you? You've just been
1: confrontational. Yeah, it's a very confrontational way of handling it. I need to give it some thought. Oh, what do you need to think about? What do you think about? Um, never goes well, you can fall out, aren't you? Yeah, never goes well.
0: Uh, but I look at this chapter, I and mean, I didn't actually make that many notes, really. I, I like this line, actually, it's very cheesy. If you give me one percent of your trust, I'll earn you the other ninety-nine percent.
1: Would you use that? No. <laughs> There's no, no, because it's not congruent with you, or no, because you think it's shit. I just think it's nonsense. So, I don't. I, I just think.
0: I just think that's a nonsense thing to say. I, I, you know, I, how, how do you build trust? You build trust by uh, delivering and trustworthy, not actually asking for it.
1: But will you build it by? building credibility, respectability. Nonsense there, yeah. yeah. Nonsense. Uh, I, I, you know, I think a lot about this book is you and I live in a world where if we sell recruitment services to a client, what we're dealing with is mission critical and is incredibly high involvement and determines the success and failure of people's careers. So what we sell as a service to our customers is it's important stuff. Yeah. yeah. 100%. And a lot of what our, our people that we work with, both our clients, our candidates, a lot of what they sell is important, mission-critical, high-involvement, multi-stakeholder multi procurement and, and, and selling. I think some of this is actually pretty good if what I was doing was a tactical one-on-one business-to-consumer sale. I think if I was selling motors, some of it would be a lot more useful than I've seen in than associated. So, so you're summarising the book. Is
0: that your summary of the book?
1: It wasn't meant to be, but I guess it's
0: where it's going. So, my summary of the book was: I thought I actually liked the book. Would it, would I recommend that to, for somebody to read? Yeah, I would actually. but was good. On what basis would
1: you recommend it?
0: On what basis? I I I wouldn't want to use it as a training manual for somebody. Um, if I ha- if one of my daughters became a salesperson and said, "Listen, Dad, what's the first book should I read?" It wouldn't be that. Be, this would be about the 100th book I'd read, I think. And I left the book thinking to myself, he was clearly a good salesman. No doubt about it. I think he's. Clearly still is. Yeah, clearly still is. I thought it was really badly written in parts. I thought it just didn't explain himself particularly well. I thought, you know, it was contradictory. I thought it was a bit boring. It would be really great. You know, Mickey taking aside, I know we've invited Jordan Belford on the show and whatever. I, I, I would really like to work with him for a week. I think he'll be a brilliantly I think you'd learn a bucket load set next to him. I think you'd probably learn a bucket load that you didn't necessarily want to deploy, but I think you'd learn a lot from him. I bet he would be a great salesman, a good teacher, a bad author, and I gave it seven out of ten.
1: Ooh, a generous seven. I think that's pretty good, seven out of ten. Alright, let's 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 do a little wrap up then. I'm putting the book to one side, I'm done with it. I don't ever have to look at that book again. So would I, under what circumstances, would I recommend somebody read that book? I can't see one way you would. I wouldn't recommend it to, I don't know, if one of my friend's sons rang me tomorrow and said, Johnny, I'm thinking of going to sales. You seem to know quite a lot about it. Can you recommend a book for me? It wouldn't be my first recommendation. Would
0: you recommend it to one of our candidates or clients to read? Who is a good, solid salesperson? I definitely would. I'd say you're not going to employ it and start doing it, but you're going to like reading it. I tell what's good about that is, irrespective of whether you like the straight line system or not, he's got a system.
1: Yeah. Okay. And he gets it, what. What I did get out of it was it's got me thinking about selling. Yeah. Whether you
0: agree with it or not. He's got a system. He's got it, an idea. It was He's worth. It, it
1: was worth the fourteen ninety nine that we put on the company credit card uh, for. If you actually look pound for pound value for the fourteen ninety nine and what the eight hours I have spent reading it, um, it's worth it. In as much as I've spent eight hours thinking about my craft.
0: Yeah, I thought it was
1: all right. So for no other reason than that, it gets a six for me because he made me go back to thinking about the craft and anything that makes you think about the craft and asks some questions of yourself about it has validity. Yes. Am I going to use lots of it? Yeah. What do you think you would have thought of it if you hadn't watched the film? What? So if he, if I hadn't known that he'd been a villain that had that
0: no, gone
1: away? More...
0: Because I couldn't help, I just couldn't get that out of my mind all the time, and I thought that that really tainted the book a You can't
1: get Leonardo DiCaprio out your head.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, this is a guy that's had to live with that. What do you think? He's of had the to film. create a career out of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, whatever you think of the film, that's what I was thinking.
1: So actually, a lot of respect to the guy who's created a Clearly, mm-hmm. a good career for himself mm-hmm. after what could have been a completely life-defeating. And I tell you snow. what, and I tell you what, if there Third was a place. if there was a
0: company out there, you know, that sold. You know, I don't know. You know, life assurance. And there was, I don't think they're watching this. But let's say Allied a se-
1: Crowbar or someone. Who's that? Uh, Allied Dunbar or whatever
0: they're called. Ha! Like. Yeah, the sales director of Allied Crowbars watching this. Should you get? Do they your still sales exist,
1: people? Allied Dunbar? No man? idea.
0: Should you get your salespeople with that? Yeah, hundred percent. Defers. If 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 you know whatever his name, a head honcho at Microsoft's watching this. Should you get your salespeople with?
1: You know? Yeah, Sachin Nadella It's okay. Don't employ Make sure you one.
0: like it, though. Sat- What's his name?
1: Sat- Sat- Satya Nadella. But well, we sure are like talking it. about reading his book next. I wonder, no, we're if he'll, no. I, I, I wonder if he'll come on the show. No, we're not. We're reading this one next. Right. Introduction
0: to the next book. No, actually, mine is a bit doggier because I have actually read it before. But I've got a brand new copy. So, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to rereading it. It's something that a lot of people really rate, it's Sandler.
1: Okay. So the book is called, our next book is going to be called You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. This is the second edition of Sandler's seven, Sandler, train, Sandler Trainings Seven Step System for Successful Selling. The book that revolutionized the world of sales, updated and expanded for today's ultra competitive environment. Um, and there's a little comment here from Vice President of Global Sales Operation at LinkedIn. Which I don't really have much respect for, but I'm going to read it. It says LinkedIn is a very dynamic organization and we're growing at hyper speed. We didn't really have any kind of formalized sales methodology or sales training programs. So Sandor's are choice for starting to build those building blocks for a business that had a monopoly anyway. It's not just about the history of the. Did it, he write it, that? It didn't say about the monopoly. It, it's not just about you know, the history of the. You bad
0: thing about LinkedIn is, though, you almost don't say that because might switch off your LinkedIn I'm
1: <laughs> actually frightened of LinkedIn. Um, it's not just about their history of excellence because Sandler has been around for a long time and it's not just about their blue chip client list because they have some amazing clients. It's primarily about the people, the amazing things they teach. Fair enough, you know. The guy is VP of Global Sales Operations. Yeah, he's obviously a top guy. He's obviously a top, 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 top guy uh, uh, and he obviously thinks very, very highly of it. So I'm actually quite excited about this one. Um, let's just do a quick breakdown for those who are going to read with us. Um, you've got a week. It's now Friday. We're going to see you next Friday. This is a 209-page book with 14 chapters. So I suggest we do this. Chapters 1 to 3 comprise 37 pages. So I guess chapters 1 to 3 next week. Look,
0: comprise
1: more than that in my book. No, look. Chapters 1, chapters 2 and chapters 3 take up to page 37. No, they don't.
0: Chapter 3 starts
1: on page 37.
0: Oh, shit. It ends on page six. Okay,
1: so let's do chapters 1 and 2, and maybe we need to do this over six weeks then. Yeah, okay. So this is going to be a... Yeah, and, and also I think because this is a little bit more relevant to the world we operate in, I think maybe we should savour it a little bit, take a bit of time. Next bit. Before you go, if you're still listening, you're still here and you're still with us, do us a favour, hit the Like button or the Share button go on YouTube and subscribe, 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 subscribe. We put a lot of effort into creating the content. One, we've got to read the book. Two, we've got to mess about setting the video up and we're by no means technical gurus. Three, we've got to get the video, put it online. Four, we've got to create the podcast and get it out there. Help us out here. Let us know that you're actually feeling the love for the content. Otherwise, at some point, I know Mike, he's very pragmatic, he's going to say, sorry we've got to stop doing it. Um, so, do, do do that for us. <laughs> do do that for us. That's um, good. Pricey, we will see our loving audience next week, uh, our, or you'll, our loving audience will to hear us on the podcast. Uh, looking forward to the weekend.
0: Yeah, a bit of golf tonight. Ooh. Yeah, I reckon. Looks easy out there, doesn't it? As we're on the 17th floor building building Leeds. You look out; it looks hot, dry, not windy. I reckon. It, I reckon you've got with Muller in it round any golf course this weekend. I thought but...
1: good, right, very good. Well, I'm chilling this weekend, so. Uh, We'll see you all next week. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you.